What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, Joe Johnson's. Do we have to take Ja Raff out? That's still like a sick name for a giraffe. Yes, yeah, no, I think I think Ja Raff is fine. I think Ja Raff is fine. I think whoever came up with that name for the baby giraffe in the Memphis Zoo, for those of you who don't know who Ja Raff is, I feel like that's that's still a feat of creativity that we need to rule. Yeah. And Jimmy Butler's. Yeah. We've got Jimmy Butler's too. Because that dude is carrying this Heat team that's starting Kevin Love in 2023 all the way to the NBA Finals. And it makes about zero sense. The only thing I could come up with is that Eric Spolstra is... The Eric Spolstra-Jimmy Butler like duo, like coach and best player duo, is just like undefeated. That's the only thing I could come up with. But uh, anybody who is expecting a Lakers Celtics NBA Finals, those those chances are effectively over. You hear the fire like that. That's that's the that's the truck going to set you know to put out the fire that's happening in the Boston Celtics building right now. That's that's what you were just hearing. Um, but we do not we do not have that other Jay currently. We do have Jimmy Butler's Josh. How are you? Yeah, I'm ready for the finals. Hmm. Wait, see, we've seen what we need to see. See, I was doing post PGA Championship stuff yesterday, and by the time I got to okay, now I could like watch some of this game. It was over. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, I don't need to watch this. Yeah, yeah. It's a little nope, we've learned what we need to learn from the for the conference finals. We got two teams that deserve to be playing in the finals. Let's just make it happen. <laughs> Dude, we don't need game four. We don't need game no. four. Um, not an NBA podcast. Used to be an NBA podcast. You've been around long enough where this was partly an NBA podcast. You've been around for a considerable amount of time, uh, but only a college basketball podcast. However, this is about as close to an NBA podcast as we're yep. going to get. This next month. The next month. Because I don't know if you know, Josh, but every year all the teams get together and draft players coming out of college and other and and, and just seemingly out of the abyss to uh, play for their NBA franchise the following year uh, or at least play for an adjacent um, farm league <laughs> franchise and um, it, they do that every June late late in June and a week ago about a week ago um, we had the NBA draft lottery the Spurs win the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes what a crazy thing that would be if the Spurs just pick somebody else I like it happens every year that's whoever wins the lottery. It's like, okay, that team's going to get Zion. And we start talking about how, you know, the Pelicans win the Zion Williamson sweepstakes. Like Victor Wimbanyama is not a spur yet. He's going to be a spur. But what if the Spurs were just like, actually, we like Scoot Henderson more. We're going to take Scoot and absolutely shock the world. But well, you would have thought that Victor Wimbanyama actually became yeah. a San Antonio spur last week. That is not actually the case yet. He will be soon uh, at the end of June, but not quite yet. I just think that's funny how we didn't even we didn't even start with soon to be spur. It's just the Spurs get Victor Wembanyama. Like that's yeah. what we're talking about. And that's, and, and that's how ESPN was treating it, which surprised right. me. There was right. no qualifiers of because some of the actual headlines I saw for web stories was earn the right to select right Victor Wembanyama, which makes sense. Which makes right. That's the whole point. They won the lottery. That means they can get this guy. Right. ESPN just uh, 
how you feeling about San Antonio, Wemby? <laughs> right, exactly. And 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 then reporting things like Tim Duncan will work with with you know new spur Victor Wembanyama. I was like, okay, yeah. when they draft him, when he becomes a part of that team. Um, and this kind of leads into so real quick, what we're going to do today is we're basically just opening up the the Pandora's box of the NBA draft on this podcast, getting into the draft season. And we'll do we'll do some mock draft stuff. We'll we'll do some draft superlatives and kind of look at right as Zach Eady and other decisions are made. We'll of course uh, address those as well. But this is more than anything, Josh. I think an intro into into this year's NBA draft as we kind of shift uh, the podcast in that direction for the next month or so. And so what we're going to do on this pod is. Like I got ponderings, wonderings about the draft. I, I don't do a ton of NBA draft thinking before about this time. And so as a result, I don't come in as a guy who's really been paying attention for the last 12 months at the prospects. I know of them and of teams' situations and teams that needed you know good draft lottery positioning, but... This is where we kind of get into the to the area of actually looking into this draft. So that's kind of what we're going to do today in the form of just lottery adjacent uh, questions about the 2023 NBA draft. And the first one I have, Josh, so we've, we've each got roughly five. I'm sure there will be a little bit of overlap. But the first one kind of gets to the point that we're getting at here is that it's just a foregone conclusion that the Spurs are going to take Victor Wembanyama. And like Victor Wembanyama will go number one overall. The question I have is, is there even a price for the number one overall pick? Is there anything that any team can do, right? You look at these, these teams that have unbelievable draft capital right now, whether it's, you know, New Orleans still has quite a bit of draft capital. Of course, Oklahoma City is going to make like a third of the lottery picks in the next 10 years. Oh, please, um, please put him next to Chet. So, oh, that would be amazing. Well, well you, you likely, right, if they do make a trade like that, Chet is going to go to Tra- San Antonio. Trade the rest of them. Just keep Chet. <laughs> so, right, so like it, hypothetically, a Chet Holmgren and all of our first round picks for the next decade kind of thing. Is there even a price for Victor Wembanyama? I kind of think the answer is no, but... I, I'm curious because if there is a number one overall pick that is worth trading the type of capital that that Brooklyn, that Phoenix gave up for Kevin Durant, it's probably something like this. Um, but I'm still not sure, you know, right, draft picks, even draft picks like Victor Wembanyama have, have more value before they're actually drafted, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so it's probably even more expensive than it might be a year into Victor Wembanyama's career. Uh, but it is, uh, it's an interesting question to me. And if we even get any sort of rumors about what a team tried to pony up to, to move into that number one spot. There's a price and it starts with a franchise altering superstar, which is basically the problem here. Right. I'm not trading this pick for a guy who hasn't played an NBA game. Right. I'm not trading this for a bunch of, I mean, obviously you got to have the draft picks too. I'm not trading it for a bunch of draft picks and you know, Michael, Michael Bridges, 
Not because Michael Bridges is a bad NBA player, but because Michael Bridges is not the best player on a championship team. No. You know. So if the, you know, Nuggets <laughs> lose in the NBA Finals and decide they need to... Now, this is never going to happen. Yo, Jokic, you're, you're, right. you know what? We're done. We're done. Right. Then, yes. Okay, There's a, now we're talking, you know? That would the break new, the world. Yeah, the new if coach the Nuggets, in Milwaukee. The just, Nuggets traded Jokic <laughs> for Yama. I mean, I guess so maybe you're talking Joel Embiid. And even then, you got to have a conversation. Sure. Because here is the one – I guess I, and I have my kind of two things about Wembenyama. Mm-hmm. One, and John, I saw John Hollinger make this point. It's a good one. Do you know how many people his size – I think it's over 7-3. Have played 1,000 games in the NBA? Not many. Zero. See, that's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, that's true, but there's also like 12 guys that right. the fit into that category. The sample size isn't huge, and he's not built like those other guys. Right. And he's coming into the NBA in a age where, right, you know, the, the uh, medical attention is better. The research is better in terms of st- stress management and those kind of things. You know, he he's set up to take care of his body better. His game lends itself to not being destroyed in the post. That is part of this, though, is that – and now, look, if you get him for 10 years and then it kind of all falls apart, is it worth it? Probably. Mm-hmm. Unless he doesn't end up being what – He's supposed to be, and I just have a hard time believing he's going to, unless it's injuries, he's going to fall way short of expectations. Mm. He's a taller, more skilled version of Kevin Durant. Now, he's not the shooter, but... Or the I mean, ball handler. I mean, he's he's not the productive ball handler of Kevin Durant. Victor Wambanyama does a lot of things with the ball that don't, don't actually get him anything. That's he the, likes to dribble between his legs in front of a defender yeah. and prove that he can do it. Yes. Kevin Durant is the more productive ball handler. Sure. 100%. Sure, sure. That's a, that's a fair way to categorize it. Just just that part of it. And then the second part is... <laughs> Webinyama is not Tim Duncan or Tony Parker in terms of personality. This guy's what, going to... What do you mean? He's already on the verge of being a global superstar, right? Sure. This dude hasn't even played an NBA game yet. The idea of him being in San Antonio. Now, he seems very happy that San Antonio got the first pick. I am very interested what the – and it could just be simply, look, I know, right, the international pedigree there, Tony Parker, Boris Diaw, you can go down the list. Mm. It might be as simple as that. Tiago Splitter. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right we got manu jeez we have right. to say well, manu. I, I was going for the french french guys in particular oh uh, okay yeah all right fine yes the right international pedigree french pedigree in particular this dude is just from a a brand standpoint he is too big for san antonio if this works not necessarily that that's going to be a problem and it's a very good sign that he seemed happy that they are the ones landing him it's just interesting to me that kind of how this is all going to go and how he's going to mesh with, right, like you said, dribbling in front of people just to show that he can dribble in front of people and make them look silly. 
Is that mm. something you associate with Greg Popovich? Right. <laughs> you know, it's just go- it's going to be interesting. The thing that's the most intriguing for me with with Wembenyama is this is not the same position that Tim Duncan walked into when he was the number one overall pick for the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Not even close. The Spurs had eight winning seasons in a row, five winning seasons in a row. I think it was starting in 93 or so, all the way through the year before Duncan got drafted and they had injuries. They went, they, they, they won like 50 games, then won 22, then immediately won 50 again. Because who did they get with the first, first overall pick in franchise history? Yeah. Dave Robinson. Exactly. And so, so Duncan got to walk into a room where he didn't have to be the guy. Mm -hmm. Victory isn't even a spur yet. And he's already the guy in the building. So and I don't I don't really have a sweeping declaration to to say about that when it comes to whether or not Victor Wembanyama is capable of rising to that level of expectation. It's just different because at the same time, Tim Duncan also walked into a building that was expecting to win championships immediately. Victor Wembanyama is also not expected to do that. I mean, I think there's a belief that he will put them on that kind of track but i don't think anybody in the building is expecting him to win a championship before 2026 right and and duncan was was entering a room that was kind of already in that position so but it it is not the lineage is obvious of big men who were number one overall draft picks in san antonio but it's not like Victor is is stepping into the same kind of situation that that Duncan was because he was in a very uh, a very unique spot for a number one overall draft pick to be in. It doesn't happen all that often. It's much close. He was much closer to what happened to say you know James Wiseman with the Warriors, a team that clearly was not the second worst team in the NBA. But Steph Curry broke his hand and Clay was out with an Achilles injury. And then you get a bad then you get a bad record and a good draft pick. So I'm I'm very curious about that because it's been 40 years, 30 years, 35 years, since a guy walked into the Spurs building as the number one overall pick and was immediately the guy. Because Tim Duncan doesn't fit that bill. He became that guy, but David Robinson was still the guy when he walked into that building. Right. And also just a veteran star to say, here's how this is going to work. Right. Not, not just a veteran, but a guy that can then set the, the stage to eventually hand that torch to Tim Duncan. Right. Yeah. You don't see now, that very often. Now, perhaps the second best thing to the, having that guy as your teammate is the Spurs just going to Tim Duncan and saying, hey, what do you <laughs> want per year to come be Victor Wimbanyama's personal trainer? Right. Like, what do you want? We'll give right. it to you because that's that's about as close to the scenario that Duncan walked into as you can get. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a Spurs fan, I'm I'm a really I'm a really big fan of that. Um, but it'll be it'll be very interesting. Early on, because. I I'm 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 already a little exhausted by the he's injury prone thing 
like he is, yes, he is injury prone as a seven five human being. But it's it's not like anybody who had that pick at number one would pick somebody else because right. of that. So I don't understand why it's such a massive talking point. If you were actually considering not taking the taking him number one overall because of those issues, then we can have a conversation about that. But nobody is actually going to do that. It just feels like, and not to not to call your point lazy because that's not what I'm doing. It just feels like a lazy thing to talk about when it comes to women Yama because everything else seems so bulletproof yeah. from his from his from the way people talk about him as a prospect and the type of game that he has for the current NBA. Everything else, there's nothing controversial to talk about other than he might get injured. So I think that's what people default to. But to your point, seven five guys typically don't have long careers, right? The last number one overall pick like this in terms of just sheer size was Yao, and Yao was good until he wasn't, and then it ended very, very quickly. And you weren't getting 82 games a season out of him, which... I, I don't... I'm, I'm not going to act like I, I remember how many games Yao was going to yeah, play okay, was playing I'm, per season, but I'm guessing. I'm guessing you're right. I'm I'm fairly confident I can look that up in a minute. But yeah, I kind of just made that assumption. I will admit. I think one, it's exactly like like you said. That's the reason why people are pointing to it is because there's nothing else to point to. Mm-hmm. Two, the counter I would have is okay. We have to go to the defense of Yao Ming. Oh, okay. I apologize. Yeah. Um. So so he played five games in the 2010-11 season okay. the year after he injured his foot and didn't play the whole season and that was kind of the end of his career 2005 to 2008 he played 57 48 55 games okay but his first three seasons 0203 to 0405 82 82 80 oh okay and then the year before he got hurt 77 games that is alarming how fast his nba career ended he yeah. played 77 games. He started 77 games, played 33 minutes per game, and averaged 19 points and 10 rebounds and two blocks. In 2008-9, once that season ended, he played five more NBA games in his career. That is alarming. And I don't know if he if he went back to if he returned to China and played any there. I'm I don't I'm guessing I'm guessing he didn't. Um, but wow, that's so. That's so we're talking alarming. essentially four full seasons. Yeah, he was in, and he was a yeah four four full seasons. He was an all star. All don't tell me he was an all star the year he played five games. I refuse to believe that. There's a little star next to his name though, to to the year. Hall of Famer and eight eight time all star. He played eight years. He was an eight time all star. How about that? There you go. It's an impressive. That's a, Hall of Famer played eight eight seasons. Hall of Famer, no MVPs, no Finals appearances. Hall of Famer. I mean, I'm in. I'm very, I'm very pro Hall of Fame as the story of a of an organization's lifespan, and I feel like you can't. I don't think you can tell the NBA story without Yao Ming. Anyways, go ahead. So you got four four full seasons. Now, yes, three of them were consecutive at the beginning, right? It wasn't just kind of 
sometimes there were injuries along along the way. It was that you weren't, especially after the first three seasons, believing you could get a season out of him. You know, sure. Now again, is Wembenyama Yaming? No. the The pushback I would have would be that I generally I agree with your general sentiment that you can't blow it out of proportion because anybody would be taking that quote unquote risk, one hundred percent. The reality that we have not seen this before, though. Maybe we need to pump the brakes on the this is the greatest prospect in the history of pro sports thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you could have a guy that has a note that guarantees he would never get injured ever, and we would still need to pump the brakes on the greatest prospect ever right. thing. That would be my only pushback. Is That's fine. You can push back on other people. I'm not, I'm yeah, not right. the one sitting here saying right. that he's the greatest right. prospect of all time. Right. We're, we're on the same page in both both regards that you got to pick. I mean, you got to look at something to explain why this might go wrong because there's nothing in his game to suggest it. So you say the injury part of it, and then you go, well, yeah, absolutely. You're going to take that risk. And we, yeah, I, just as you're getting tired with the injury stuff, I'm also getting tired with the, this is the greatest prospect we've ever seen because fundamentally, if you've never seen somebody, deliver at this size the way that you have to to be the best prospect ever and live up to that mm-hmm. we need to calm down a little bit here's here's my here's my hot ish take and here here's the thing that i believe this is what i think is going to unlock longevity and a really special career for Wembenyama and then we can move on to other questions because believe it or not we i do we do have some other ones the first is so so yao ming is 310 pounds yeah victor wembenyama is 225 230 depending on where you look so there are two ways to look at this and i'm concerned about one of the ways because i think him staying as slim as possible is part of the reason that he would be able to achieve longevity Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like there's and like as long as you put like I don't need Victor Wembanyama to turn into a a a ground and pound interior presence on either end of the floor. That's why for me Detroit was so intriguing is because they already have the big guys to put next to Victor Wembanyama to mm-hmm. do all of those things. And cause I like I, I don't need him to come in and gain 15 pounds of muscle. I don't. And and Kevin Durant has proven that you can be about that big around and have a very successful yep. NBA career. And, and now look at what Kevin Durant looks like from a from a physical standpoint. Right. I just I, like. I think they're trying to make Victor Wembanyama into something he's not if he steps into the building and they immediately try to add 20 pounds to him. Mm-hmm. Because I, I still think that Anthony Davis putting all the muscle on that he did is part of the reason that he can't stay healthy ever. The 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 mid-2010s version of Anthony Davis was 
just as dominant as the current one is and was 20 pounds lighter and didn't have nearly as many injury issues. And I allowing Victor to do what he's good at, which is be a guard in a seven, five body, which is a ridiculous sentence. It will be unlocked. If you put a guy next to him, like, uh, like you know, R- Rob Williams, like like a like a like a semi versatile big man who can take all of those like most physical defensive assignments, and then kind of just stay out of the way offensively. And I I just hope I just think it's pretty clear that that's not what he is, and I hope that teams that that the Spurs don't try to turn him into that because I think that's also that would help with his longevity if you just maximize the the body that he has now rather than trying to add 20 pounds to it for the sake of physicality because his that's just not what his game is he's a he's a you know a a dance a dance around you use my skills kind of guy and I'm 75 so good luck trying to stop me and on defense he's a you know He's a a weak side, like, oh my gosh, he came out of nowhere and blocked that shot kind of guy rather than the guy bumping with Joel Embiid in the post. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Yeah. And that's the, that's the counter to the injury argument. He doesn't do what other guys, his size in the NBA have been brought in to do. So don't make him into something that has not gotten you the longevity that you're hoping to get out of him. That's the face of your franchise. Embrace all the things he can do that, all these other guys can't. Yeah. Right there with you. Okay. Let's move on to things uh, other than, than Victor Wembanyama. Um, do you have, where do you want to start? I'll let you pick and, and we'll, we'll kind of, we'll kind of go from there. Let's just move down. one. Victor slide. was one of my, was one of my questions. Victor was, was I, I had a Victor question, which we've satisfied. Yes. And so- then I had a question about the price of the number one overall pick. So I, oh. which I've already, which I already offered to you. Mm-hmm. So I, we have satisfied two of my questions. Okay. Um, so I'll let you start somewhere and we should be in a similar spot. Yeah. So this is number two for me then. Sure. Yeah. Let's go down and just talk about one pick later. What is the, the Hornets thought process here? Certainly. And to me, there's two parts to this one. Do you care at all that the best player available on the board doesn't necessarily mesh all that well with LaMelo? Two, if the answer to that question is yes, how do you make sure you're not paying a price basically for the way your roster is constructed? And what I mean by that is the same thing we were talking about with the Pistons and Cade when there were all these rumors circulating they wanted Jalen Green. That's fine, but you can't take them one mm-hmm. because somebody else is going to value, in that case, Jill, in that case, Kate Cunningham, in this case, Scoot Henderson, as the second best prospect in this draft class, mm-hmm. which means they need to be paying you to draft Scoot if you don't want to. How do you make that happen? Because to me, you have failed from a process standpoint if you take anybody other than Scoot number two. Because somebody That's will. 
Unless. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I agree with that. Sorry. My bad. At first, I just thought you meant that you're wrong if you want Brandon Miller over Scoot, but that's not what you said. That's you said not drafting Scoot number two, which yeah. is inherently means you could draft Brandon Miller number three. Right. But, exactly. Can, right. right. If I have to, and maybe this changes by the time we actually get to the draft, I have to believe there are enough teams that would pay a price to get Scoot that you can put yourself in a position and maybe you can't get Brandon Miller then. You know, especially because we're going to get to pick three in a little while here. It's kind of a weird situation there. But I have to think there's somebody, if you decide you're not taking Scoot, to me, your next job is to work the phones and get whatever you can for that pick. Unless unless there's just nobody that's going to keep you high enough where you're happy in terms of the pick that you're getting in return. Because to me, there is, and maybe it's not a consensus number two, but there's a number two prospect that enough people agree about that that player needs to be going number two unless you get incredibly unlucky in terms of the offers you're getting if you're Charlotte. I'm going to turn that around on you. Because I think if if Portland stays at three, Brandon Miller makes a ton of sense for the Portland Trailblazers, mm-hmm. along with what they already have on their roster. From Shane Sharp to Anthony Simons to Damian Lillard. There's a lot of backcourt scoring and stuff already going on there. If if I'm Charlotte, I like the first move I might be making is trying to convince Portland that I want Brandon Miller. And and if you get no kind of tapping you on the shoulder, calling you late at night kind of thing, then Maybe Portland just wants Scoot, and if you actually just want Scoot, then you just end up taking Scoot. But if Portland really wants Brandon Miller, and you can convince Portland that you're going to take Brandon Miller if they don't move up to two, then maybe you can do a switcheroo and add some draft capital later with a Portland team that is with the uh, with a Portland team that might suck not that long from now. Right. Like right. That, that's, that's certainly a possibility. Mm-hmm. So I, I completely agree with the sentiment that if you're not going to, if you don't want scoot, if you just want scoot and you're not all that, and you're not all that worried about a bottom tier Western conference team when you're the Charlotte Hornets, then just take scoot and let Portland take Brandon Miller. That's fine. But I think it's worth, you know, playing the field a little bit and seeing if you can get Portland to bite on moving up to make sure that they get Brandon Miller. Yep. And it's really interesting though, because I think, and I personally don't think there's as big of a gap between Scoot and Brandon, certainly as there used to be. And there are even guys like Kevin O'Connor at the ringer who have Brandon Miller higher on his big board than Scoot Henderson. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so it's not even like, and I say that to say, you know, there are some years where it would be ludicrous for you to try and convince somebody that you want this guy instead of this guy, right? It's like, that guy's obviously the number two overall pick. You're lying to me. I think there's enough conversation about Scoop versus Brandon Miller that those, that those kind of rumors can be believable, but I, I I absolutely agree with your with your sentiment there, and it's interesting because neither team 
obviously need now I just think that whether you're picking second or third whoever's still on the board at three you take because that's clearly the third best the, the best guy left on the board and if you're picking at three you probably don't have the luxury of of drafting for fit um but I absolutely agree that there's some gamesmanship to be had by the Charlotte Hornets at two yeah and right and that's the other way basically you just have to make sure you don't lose your leverage here and right. you got to maximize your leverage, right? If Portland looks at it and goes, we don't really have a use for Scoot. We can't afford to have that be the player that falls to us because it's just going to make things messy. Then, right, you can leverage it the other way because they are close. I think there's enough of a general agreement that Scoot is too. I would agree with that, yes. And at the same time, right, if you can't get somebody in the top – three top five to bite. Then that's where my perspective changes. If you're getting offered pick 10 is the gap between scoot and Brandon Miller. If you prefer Miller worth moving down eight spots to me, the answer is probably no, unless you get an awful, an awfully good package around that number 10 pick. Here's the other thing. What if Portly what if Portland is more interested in finding a guy that can help Damian Lillard win right now? Yeah. Because Damian Lillard has earned the right that as long as he's in Portland, Portland is doing whatever they can do to try and win. Right. And and I've had this this conversation with multiple people about, yeah, but do you really kind of put your future at at stake for a now in his mid thirties, Damian Lillard, the answer is yes, because Damian Lillard has earned that respect. I think at least from my vantage point, and if I was running the Portland trailblazers, that's, that's just what I would be doing or trade. Him. Right. Or, 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 but if he wants to be there, then you, then the Damian Lillard has earned the right to have his organization yeah. try to find a way to win. Yeah. And, and like there's an argument that I'm willing to have or or a conversation I'm willing to have that maybe Brandon Miller is the best way to do that. Right? The Anthony Simons takes another step, so you kind of have this Anthony Dame Lillard backcourt thing. Um then you have your Brandon Miller two-way wing. Because if he hits, if he's a hit immediately, then there aren't a ton of guys. There are guys, but is there really a guy that you can get from like the team that's drafting seventh that's going to be better than that that potentially successful Brandon Miller? That there's at least a conversation to be had there. But that's the other part of this two three, and who might end up making those selections is because Portland might just decide that the best way to do to to further their chances of winning games with Damian Lillard to to put number three on the chopping block and see what they what they can get in terms of proven NBA commodities. Yeah, that's my third thing is the Brandon Miller factor here. Does somebody convince themselves to take him two? And then like you just said, are the Blazers actually willing to hold on to this pick? Because I'm operating under the assumption they don't want to. 
for the exact reason you laid out, that generally speaking, rookies are not the best way to immediately improve your team. So if that's the case, and you have to at least imagine that the Blazers are going to be willing to have conversations about this pick. The other part of this is, what team is willing to move up, hypothetically, specifically to get Brandon Miller, with everything that's gone on? And we've covered it. He hasn't been charged with a crime. He's talking to NBA teams. You know, you're at least getting some perspective from him directly on Mm -hmm. what happened. There just is part of this that you are voluntarily giving up draft picks to intentionally go get this particular player, right? Right. And the storylines that come with that. It just sets up a very weird situation because, yeah, this team in th- at three is not trying to be here. Mm-hmm. In a three-player t- draft where team two doesn't necessarily – mesh with the second best player available on most people's boards, but it's not like there's an easy solution here because Portland's probably looking at all these guys going, this isn't our best path to getting where we want to be, which is competitive for Dane. Right. And, and then you kind of look at the other teams in the lottery and and let's, let's run through a couple of them real quick. So Houston, because the other part of this is, is right. It's not just, like you have to have a guy that we can get from you that helps us win immediately. Right. So keep that in mind as we go down this list. Houston. Is there a guy on Houston's roster right now that you're sure would be better than Brandon Miller tomorrow? No. 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 Detroit. Is there a guy that they're going to be willing to give up that you're sure <laughs> is better? No. No. Important important qualifier, but no. Right. Because they're not going to give up Cade and they're not right. going to get a, give up Jay Nivey. And Jalen Duran probably doesn't doesn't move the needle enough in the way no. that Brandon Miller could potentially move the needle. Right. It's yeah. all about potential. But in theory, Brandon Miller can knock down forty three percent of his threes and guard the best player on the other team. Orlando is interesting, but Orlando is has all kinds of wings, mm-hmm. and like they're not going to give you Franz Wagner, they're not going to give you Paolo Banquero. Probably the most likely scenario there is them giving you, I mean, right? You probably want six and eleven from them because that's the other part. And this is this is my number three here is which teams are most likely to move around. Portland mm-hmm. is one of them. And Orlando, just because of the fact that they have two, they have two top eleven picks. Um, but I mean, the most likely player to go back in a in a transaction like that would probably be Jonathan Isaac, which has the which Jonathan Isaac could be an All NBA level defender if he could just stay on the floor, right. and that hasn't happened in a really long time. So, would you do that even if you do get six and eleven in? Uh, you know, in a draft that we'll get to momentarily because I have thoughts about that as well, is pretty thin, pretty fast after three. Mm-hmm. Um, Indiana, Indiana doesn't have a player that you think is going to be better than Brandon Miller. Tyrese Halberton. Yeah, but they're not trading Tyrese no, Halberton. Right, right, right. 
I mean, the only other option would be, I mean, like, okay, Andy, anyway, we want seven and Benedict Matherin. That's probably the only way that works. That, that, yeah. The, the only way that goes. And that's probably, no. that, they're, they're not going to do that. The Wizards do. The Wizards have a guy in Bradley Beal. No, but also granted, are you going to pay two guys in their mid thirties in a couple of years, $60 million each, $60 million each. Remember when two max guys were like getting $60 million total, like both yeah. of them were getting 30. Yeah. So, so this is interesting because. Right. Portland's it's not like we're not moving from three. We want Brandon Miller. That's how this is going to go. But at the same time, you got to go pretty deep and there's not an obvious because that's the issue with trying to move around for impact players now with other teams in the lottery. They're in the lottery for a reason, Josh. Mm -hmm. Right. And there aren't that many players that would move the needle in the right direction for Portland uh, that are actually on teams that are in a position to move up to three. So yeah, I'm thinking more. it's I'm very thinking, intriguing. I'm thinking more along the lines of teams outside the lottery. For example, sure. like Minnesota, who? Chicago. Minnesota does not have a pick in the first round, just by the way. Yeah. I would assume that's the Gobert trade. Correct. Right. Yeah, I think I'm going to be retired by the time Minnesota yeah. has another first round pick. Yeah. Or Rudy Gobert, by the way, Rudy, right, Rudy, right. like, like, like Rudy Gobert. You know, yeah. can you can you get the Timberwolves interested in a Carl Anthony Towns conversation, for example? If you want to. Now there are other questions about whether that's in your right. There's a does that help you make you more competitive? Does that improve your team? Does that improve your winning of a, your chances of winning a championship? How much should Portland care about the second of those questions? There's a whole different conversation to be had there. But just it's throwing it out there in terms of the kind of player I was thinking about with this. Because you're right. I, to me, the moving around draft picks and negotiating with teams in the lottery is not really going to get Portland where they want to be. And I'm not sure getting one guy and losing all of their abilities to get any other talent is going to get them that much further either. That, very like, fair. I... They're just like if you get if you get to pick if you get to pick in the eleventh spot still, and you get a guy right, then in theory you're adding two. Mm -hmm. You're still adding a lottery talent, and in in theory a proven NBA commodity. Yes, but the point being, and the point that you just made is they're not actually that close, which is why this is weird. It's not like this is a Portland team that that stumbled into the three pick when really they just need to refine the edges to really put themselves into a a strong spot as a contender. This is all just about their star having earned the right to be on good basketball teams. If he wants to be in Portland and, and you know, if he had played all, if he had played enough games last year, Dame might've been like, he had a first team NBA caliber season last year. So it's not like he's when healthy, he is still absolutely a spectacular talent. So, but as you said, there's every, pretty much everything else about Portland is uninspiring. So it's not like it's just one move that really has to be made. Yeah. It's a tough spot. 
the other the other team that falls into my right which teams are most likely to trade out of where they are now is is Orlando for a couple reasons. Right, six and eleven. They have two of the top eleven picks again. Shouts to Chicago, um, which I think like at, at one point this season you thought, man, the 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 Magic might pick twice in the top seven, and then Chicago t- kind of turned it around in the back half of their season and almost beat the now going to the NBA Finals Miami Heat in a winner take all elimination game. By the way, um, which is a crazy thing to say. Um, the other part of this is, and it's kind of the, I think the Magic and the Thunder are in similar spots. And that spot is, is okay. At some point, at some point you just got to win basketball games. And, and Oklahoma City is way further down the line on this than the Magic are right now. And right, the, the Thunder played, playing games this year and they have a first team all NBA guy on their roster. They have another guy that was injured. You, you hit on the draft and guys like Jalen Williams, Josh, Josh Giddy is fantastic. They're further down the line here, but it's like the process once upon a time with the Sixers. Like at some point you, you need to turn this multi-year project into on-court success. Mm-hmm. And the Magic have been bad for a long time now. They have undeniable talent on that roster. And right, rookie of the year guy, Franz Wagner, is awesome. Um, who am I? I mean, Cole Markel Fultz. Thank you. Sure. Just keep naming them all. So we're to the point with the Magic where if you make a couple of the right moves this offseason, you are a team that is that has aspirations of making the playoffs and you just need to win basketball games at some point. So I say that to say Orlando just taking two rookies at six and 11 and a not great draft and they could or could not contribute to the team next year. We're past, we're past that point with, mm-hmm. with Orlando Paolo being as good as he is. We've officially pushed past that point. So whether that means trading six and 11 for three, whether that means trading six for some sort of other NBA commodity, whether it's trading six and 11 for an even better NBA commodity, I think it's a little bit right. It's not exactly like the Warriors thing when they had seven and what it was, they had, they had seven and 14 a couple years ago mm-hmm. when they drafted, um, Kaminga and I think it was Moody. Moody, yeah. In in the same, and it was okay. This Warriors team, they are right there. What are they going to do with these picks? They ended up just just drafting both. Um, you don't have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. You're not going to contend with the roster that the Magic currently have. And maybe they think all of those guys take a big step, and they already have enough on their roster to make a playoff push. I would probably tend to agree, but I just am not, I'm not sure even if that is the case that you should just draft two guys at six and 11. And don't play to make the playoffs. Play to build a contender. You've got pieces. Sure. You need more of them to your point. Can you get those pieces at six and 11 as opposed to trading them for something else? Yeah. All right. We've now satisfied four of my five questions. This might are, be. Are you three of five? Where yeah. are you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, this... get on my level and give me your four. <laughs> to me, this might be one of the most interesting 
part of all of this leading up to draft night. Uh, what do the Rockets and Pistons do? What are they thinking? They had, I mean, the Pistons had the worst record in the NBA. The Rockets had the same record as the Spurs. They all had equal chances of winning the lottery. The Spurs get one. The Rockets and Pistons aren't even in the top three in a three-player draft. Not only that, if you look at these two teams in particular, they are at least on their way to building something good. You can debate how far along in the process they are, but the, right, mm-hmm. the Rockets now have multiple top picks. The Pistons have a core of guys who there's reason to be excited about. If you get one, kind of the same thing with the Magic, right? If you get that one more piece that you go, oh, that's another franchise cornerstone. Now you're onto something. You maybe have the ability to go acquire a high-profile player via trade or land one in free agency or something, especially if you're Houston, right? That's an appealing place to live. If you've got enough that you can go, oh, there's enough here to that if I come, this is a, a really good basketball team. Mm-hmm. Can you get that piece at four or five? And what do you? how do you deal with the fact that you just lost the lottery? <laughs> the Spurs are equally the reason are just as much the reason why you sh- you that tanking is a viable option and the Houston and Detroit are just as weakly the reasons why you shouldn't always put all of your eggs in that basket <laughs> right and in fairness to the Pistons I mean they were trying they just lost Cade for the year right but then they lost Cade and then they turned and I saw someone tweet I watched the Pistons win 15 games this year for the fifth overall pick are you getting right. me? Exactly. So right. it is it is a risky proposition and why tanking for Wembenyama is always is always a risk. Now, Detroit is in a fine spot because they have they they still have a very a, what I would describe as a promising core of young players, but it would certainly be different if if Victor Wembenyama was on his way to Detroit. Yeah, how do you how do you deal with it? I think it's good. I think it's a very good question, and kind of leaves it leaves everybody outside of the top three in limbo, which is kind of what my fifth with my what my fifth question here is. Does does anybody care about the fourth through tenth picks? Like, is is anybody Right, because sometimes you get guy teams trading up because they're enamored with a guy that they really, really want. Is is there gonna be? Is there anybody outside of the top three that people that a team feels so strongly about that anybody's gonna trade up to get? And and that's I, I asked that question basically getting at the point of I haven't been as uninspired by a group of draftees outside of the top three the way that I am this year in in quite a while um I like part of it's because like quite frankly I I couldn't care less what you look like in the overtime elite league like that's like just like I don't care what anybody else looks like the only thing I'm taking from AAU 
stuff is okay what kind of what kind of bag do you have like what what kind of on-ball creativity do you have and how athletic are you that's about it because everything else i'm not all that interested in the same can be said for overtime elite the thompson twins have certainly they 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 have the the intangibles the athleticism the the two-way potential kind of thing that you'd want from high-level recruits or prospects. But they also, nobody is blown away by their offensive ability in a league that's basically made for you to blow people away with your offensive abilities. Anthony Black is the number six overall prospect at the ringer, which is, and his description is basically glue guy and then you get to taylor Hendricks and jaris walker i like kim whitmore a lot there's but but other there's just not that many guys that i am i guess the secret is that the number 11 pick in the draft almost never does so somebody will pop out of that group that we're not expecting a la a la donovan mitchell but I just I I'm I'm curious about the value of the rest of the lottery picks outside of the top three. Mm-hmm. Does anybody care? Because there's just a lot of guys here, and part of this is because I mean, before the season, Keontae George and Nick Smith were like lock top six guys. They're both going to be fighting to get drafted in the lottery. Yeah, I mean, back into the lottery at the best. So some of the some of the horses of this of this draft class, if you will, before this before this basketball season started, um, didn't quite live up to. But like, you know, Jet Howard and Jalen Huchifino are twenty two and twenty three. It just it, it's it's an interesting class, and I'll be very intrigued to see what kind of value picks four through 15, four through 14, I guess specifically are given in this year's draft because there's just nobody jumping off the page for me. And Cam Whitmore's injury didn't help with that either. Correct. Now he certainly helped his stock once he started playing, but there are kind of some questions about, you know, can you, how much stock do you put, in that it seems there are kind of some mixed opinions because I've also seen him as the number four prospect in the class that if you can't get one of the three guys, you might as well take the the chance with him because of what he showed you and what you know he has physically, even if he's a little shade and Sharpie, not, not from, from this, right. From he's this class's shade and sharp. Yeah. Like when you look at the next t- six guys on the, on the big board, he probably has the highest ceiling, but it comes with a we haven't seen this guy play very much basketball. And when you've got athleticism on your quick notes and you're you've already had some pretty like serious injury stuff, then that can always be a concern. Yeah. But he's and, also awesome. Right. <laughs> and you compare that to last year where Keegan Murray went four, right? Keegan Murray went four, yes. And we what do we come out of that saying? You know, okay, maybe the ceiling isn't incredibly high, but that dude's going to go get you buckets right away. And what did he do? 
went and got you a bucket right away. Helped a very successful team this year, right? Was an and then important played piece. in the playoff series. And then played right. in the playoff series. Yep. Right. Not not the best player on the team, not an all-star, but a valuable piece that's going to be part of their team moving forward. Right. And I was all over Jalen Williams, who the Thunder got at what, 13, 14? Something like that. And granted, I haven't done done the deep dive on finding my guy this year yet. But yeah, there just aren't. You just don't feel particularly Keegan Murray. You just knew exactly what you were getting. And you don't. It's a good point that you don't necessarily feel that way. Now, to a certain extent, you feel that way about Anthony Black, except for what you're getting from Anthony Black is not buckets. Right. Which limits the ability to contribute right away. And will always come with a concern as valuable as I think Anthony Black's skill set is. Yeah, he has shades of Lonzo Ball, which if he yes. becomes a Lonzo Ball-esque guy, great. Lonzo Ball does a lot of really good things for a good basketball team. And hopefully we get to see him do things like that again. Lonzo Ball's career might be over, and if that's true, that's that's really, really sad. But um, I also... I also just don't like six is a little better, but if I told if, but if you told the Lakers that they're getting the Lonzo ball that they ended up with when they drafted him at two, would right. they still draft him at two? Right. He's a good NBA player, but they probably wouldn't draft him at two. Exactly. And that's kind of, that might be the best way to illustrate the yes. point that I'm trying to make. Yes. All right. I'm out of questions. Uh, do you have one more? Yeah. My last one is fairly simple. Sure. <laughs> What's up, Mavericks? What's up, Mavericks? Sure. Okay, congratulations. You avoided the humiliation of losing your pick this year. How are you going to use it? To continue the conversation we just had, is there anybody you can get at 10 that's going to help you win? If not, what are you going to do? what are you going to do with this pick that you have to maximize because you were so, so determined to make sure you didn't lose it? What, what are you getting out of it? And the fact that they do have this, how does that change their approach to the off season and the whole Kyrie situation? I don't necessarily have, have an answer or more in-depth thoughts than that. Just this idea of this was such a big deal that they got to keep this pick. So now you have to show why it's such a big deal you got to pick this, keep this pick. And I don't right. see a clear way. Now, maybe Kyrie wants out and there's nothing you can do anyway. Who knows? But similar to the Blazers, you are not focused on building a team, you are focused on setting. Luca up for success immediately and trying to keep Luca in your franchise because you haven't done a lot of winning with him. Generally Relative. speaking, Relative. generally speaking, right? They were 38. I mean, they were under 500 this season, six games under 500. They yes, also they've... went to the West finals last season. Yes, they, right. They have had some playoff success. I think how... your point is, is correct though. How are you going to, get the pieces that you need to not just win a playoff series or two, not just make a surprise run to the West finals, but actually get to that series and feel like you can win it. Right. Now the 10th pick is not supposed to do that by itself, 
but you got all this going on. You're trying to figure out what this team is going to look like. You were, you got this pick you wanted so badly. What does this end up looking like? And all with the underline because the, the, the biggest difference between the Mavericks and Portland is that Portland has a star that over and over again has shown that he wants to exactly. stay there. The Mavericks are on the freaking clock. Right. Because as the the current trajectory has Luca leaving Denver, has Luca asking his way out of Dallas way sooner than Dallas fans would like. And So you have to do whatever you, whether that, right, you have to hit on the pick or trade it or whatever, but you got to do something because that dude is less and less happy by the day. Yep. Got anything else? I do not believe so. We, yeah, we'll be. I think I'm out too. Draft decisions, draft superlatives mock draft all coming in the weeks leading up to what is it is it a, exactly a month from today 22nd it's usually it's usually a thursday so i yeah, would it's guess the, it's the it's the thursday uh 2023 nba draft 22nd wow look at this guy let's get this guy but yes uh nba draft the focus for the next four weeks or so and um We'll be back for the next installment of the Jays for Days podcast next week. Until then, th- please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod and check out the YouTube as well. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you. <laughs>